Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle Radio. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. This week on the programme, we're diving into the UBS Billionaire Ambitions Report 2023, a report which is subtitled Changing of the Guard, the Coming Era of Wealth Succession and the Drive for Greater Purpose. Our returning guest this week has chronicled the previous iterations of the report for us and was once again part of the production team for the latest edition. He's here to unpack the findings, including the fact that, for the first time in nine editions of the report, billionaires have accumulated more wealth through inheritance than entrepreneurship this year. We'll also ask him to explain how a new cohort of multi-generational families is taking shape, where each generation has their own views on legacy and ambitions, and why this requires increasingly sophisticated solutions for succession planning and defining common values. It's a pleasure to introduce our returning panellist, Maximilian Kunkel, who's responsible for looking after family and institutional wealth in the UBS CIO. Max, it's always a great pleasure to talk to you, particularly at that point in the year when the, the, the Billionaire Report is published. And it's really interesting. I think we're now, what, nine editions. And I guess what, the thing that really jumps out to me, one of the headlines, is this fact that more billionaires have accumulated more wealth through inheritance rather than through their entrepreneurship, which I guess feeds into this narrative which we talk about across the program about this unprecedented transfer of wealth. I mean, would you say that is the place to start when looking at this year's edition? I think it is the place to start, absolutely. We've been talking about this great wealth transfer now for quite some time, but what we are really seeing this year in the findings that it is starting to really gain momentum. What you're looking at as many billionaire entrepreneurs age, more than 1,000 of them are expected to pass $5.2 trillion to the heirs for the next 20 to 30 years. But when you're just looking at this year's edition, you're already seeing that a total of $150.8 billion was inherited by 53 heirs, exceeding the 84 new safe mode billionaires total of $140.7 billion. So this is really starting to gain momentum now. Well, yeah, and I think one point, and actually your colleague Ben Cavalli points this out in the introductory to the piece, the reason that, that those numbers are so significant, I guess, at least in part, is because the, the new generation or the inheriting generation, I guess, as ever with the passage of time, they have different views, don't they, about business, about their investments, about their philanthropic intentions. And I guess navigating those shifts in attitude must be super interesting for you and your colleagues. It is, it is. In fact, I think a good starting point just to see where the differences lie is you start with the concerns. And what you tend to find is that first generation billionaires are more concerned about the immediate future. So there's a big concern around a potential recession in the United States, as well as geopolitical tensions. When you're looking at heirs, you know, the biggest concerns are longer term, inflationary pressures that um, might be stickier than what some people believe. And of course, often what is cited here is concerns around the longer term developments with regards to costs associated with decarbonization, demographics and deglobalization. Another concern is also the availability and price of raw materials for many heirs. Now, so this concern is also something that is then reflected in the attitudes towards financial investment. You tend to see that first generation billionaires really focus on 
adding further risk or any additional risk taking in their entrepreneurial activities. And when it comes to the financial portfolios, focus is really adding to areas that generate a fairly attractive yield, both nominal and real terms, but importantly would also potentially as a diversifier in case, for example, an economic recession in the United States would um, start to ensue. So the big focus here is adding to high quality fixed income. When you're looking at the next generation though, again, very long-term oriented, different stage, they see the biggest opportunity here, even the reset and valuations in areas associated with private equity, be it through direct investments um, or be it through private equity fund. Yeah, well, we might talk a little bit more about some of those themes in a, in a moment, Max. But I just wanted to get, I guess, if we take a step back and look at some of the overarching trends, we spoke, I guess it would have been around this time last year, about the sort of post-pandemic fall in, in billionaire wealth. And that was quite interesting. And we charted and discussed a lot of the reasons behind that before. But we've seen a, a partial recovery, haven't we? If we just look at that big picture, What's driving it, though? Is it sort of recoveries that we've seen in other sectors, recoveries in consumer businesses, in retail, for example? I guess that aids the billionaire demography who are operating in those sectors as well. So this is exactly where we are seeing the recovery. The recovery is for the first time, actually, in nine editions, coming uh, a lot also from areas such as EMEA. EMEA was the first, for the first time in the nine editions, was the region that posted the strongest performance. As you had this 2022 post-pandemic shopping splurge that boosted the profits and share prices of some of the leading luxury goods and cosmetics companies, and of course that benefited the billionaire families behind them. We've of course seen notable jumps in wealth also in, in other areas, and I think generally what you're continuing to see is the, the sort of sectors at the top are still associated with innovations. Uh, and the commercialization of those innovations that are tackling major societal challenges. It's very much linked to technology, it's linked to healthcare, but it's also linked to industrials, where, of course, this general trend of deglobalization, demographic change, etc., is necessitating also a lot of uh, innovations in this space. Yeah, and just a final note, just in terms of real terms, I know the report tracks a recovery in wealth in nominal terms, but I suppose it's worth just underscoring a point about this inflationary environment we've been in. And does that mean that in real terms, I suppose the the, the sort of overall wealth level is relatively flat just because inflation has been tracking so high? That is the case. Yeah, interesting. Let's talk a bit about re- the, the regional differences here, Max, because that is always super interesting. And I think we already alluded to the fact that sort of European billionaire cohort has led that that wealth recovery, which I think is the first time we've seen that in, in the years of the, the edition. But just just cast a light a little bit on some of the on the regional differences. Uh, you mentioned EMEA. What about the picture in, in, in the US and across the Americas? Yeah, well, look, first of all, with regards to the Americas, you still have the world's largest concentration of billionaire wealth in the Americas, although, you know, to your earlier point, there was a relatively little growth. We're talking about 167 billionaires accounting for a total of roughly $5 trillion. That amount rose by about 2.7% in, in, the, in the period that we studied. So that is actually behind the rate of inflation. And the number of billionaires rose by 12 from 855. So it's still a relatively stable trajectory that we're seeing here. Even and this is, I think, important in an environment where economic policy and geopolitical uncertainty 
it's making it more challenging for wealth to be created. But you can see that even in this environment, it is still possible to, to grow wealth. When we're thinking about Asia Pacific, for example, we've of course had a very considerable growth over much of the past two decades. What we've now started to see is that the region's pace of wealth creation was somewhat slower. The number of billionaires increased from 922 to 1019. Total wealth increased by 8.1% to 3.7 trillion. But you're looking at countries with smaller numbers of billionaires, such as Indonesia, the Philippines, Singapore, in Taiwan, they also wealth increased by almost a third. So this is really where you're starting to get a lot of the growth now coming through in wealth creation, again, through the commercialization of innovations that are tackling challenges and producing products and services that uh, consumers crave for. Yeah. And just on that, when we've spoken about the Asia billionaire demographic before, Max, it's always been quite striking how much of a home bias there is. Does, does that ring true still, even as the geographical picture of where opportunities lie shift, as those sands shift? Do we still see that home bias amongst the APAC billionaire cohort? Which is interesting. So you still see in Asia, 50% of the billionaires that we interviewed viewing the region as the greatest opportunity for returns over the next 12 months. So that home bias is still existing there. Let's come back to you know, the kind of advice that you and your colleagues need to give to, to clients, because obviously this, this wealth transfer, we began by talking about it, it's so interesting. It's such a compelling narrative. And we know that often the heirs, that younger generation, they might have different ambitions. Sometimes they're the same, sometimes they're different. So much of making a success of this unprecedented transfer, I guess, comes down to the right kind of of, of preparation and actually bridging the gaps as they are between the, the generations. Talk to us a bit about some of the broad brush principles, Max, that can inform mitigating against the, the risk of those generational differences becoming problematic and how you ensure that there is a, a better sense of, of preparedness, of readiness to uh, deal with the challenges of, of the future. What do some of those processes actually look like? All in all, what we really have to be aware of, and I think more and more families are aware of this, but more than ever, they need to discover common values and purpose because that really needs to be, be part of this whole session plan and, and, and governance. When you speak to the challenges that first-generation billionaires in particular are talking about, you know, 58% of them claim that their greatest challenge will be instilling the necessary values, education, and experience in their heirs to take over. And you know, when, you, when you're looking at the heirs themselves, they say, hey, I, I do actually want to take over and I do want to continue to build on the legacy, both entrepreneurial, but also in other areas of the first generation. I, I think one of the, one of the areas that is somewhat different between the two generations is the attitudes towards more altruistic elements, philanthropy, for example, which you tended to find in the past is that with the first generation that there was a fairly clear distinction between, on the one hand, the entrepreneurial and investment activities, and on the other hand, the philanthropic activities. So you'd really try and focus on optimizing for the best return, given a certain level of risk in regards to the other areas. It was very much an input-based focus on, on, on philanthropic endeavors. And this is changing. We're now starting to see is the next generation is increasingly combining those, increasingly seeing in order to really have some impact on the financial side on the areas that, from a value perspective, 
is important to them and the, and the family, but there needs to be some commercialization also of innovation, especially think about areas such as healthcare, etc. So where now what you're starting to get, it's moving away from a more input base to a more output base. So what is it actually that I achieve on the philanthropic side? But at the same time, also a bigger focus on commercialization of innovations in order to tackle certain issues that would otherwise be, or in the past, be principally tackled through philanthropic causes. Why? Because there's a clear belief that it's only through the commercialization of certain innovations that there's also going to be greater impact and that impact needs to be tracked. And I think this is an absolutely fascinating development. And I think it's a part also playing into what I said earlier regarding this greater interest in investments in private equity, both through direct investments as well as through private equity firms. And that's Max Kunkel bringing us to the end of this edition of The Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance each week here on Monocle Radio. You can listen again and explore more at monocle.com or follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can discover more and find out how UBS can help you at ubs.com. This is The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle Radio. I'm Tom Edwards. Thanks for listening.